We're launching a new series today, and it's called How a Body Works. And I want to I want to promise you that we're we're not going to be doing anatomy lessons today, and we're not going to be doing biology and physiology classes here today. Um, in fact, I met a, a, a biology graduate on the way out, and so um, she was pleased that I wasn't trying to take over uh, her territory. What we're going to be exploring is what the Bible calls the body of Christ. How many of you are familiar with that term, body of Christ? Most Christians are familiar with that term, but not everybody, right? It's a strange term, but it's all throughout the Bible. And what it's referring to is the community of people who are followers of Jesus. Those who have committed their lives to following Jesus, they become what the Bible calls the body of Christ. And for a person who is a a believer or a Christian, The only way that we can actually fulfill our true potential is to be engaged in the body of Christ. And so today, right at the end of the service, uh, I'm going to, at the end of this message, I am going to give you two very practical, very applicable ways for you to push into your own potential within the body of Christ. In other words, to pursue the purpose that God has for you within the overall purpose of the body of Christ. So I want to explain a little bit as we're launching this series, what is the body of Christ? What is its purpose? How do you fit within it? And then how do we live out our purpose within the body of Christ? So I want to start with one of the most famous uh, passages in the scripture that refers to the body. This is kind of where this language comes from. And this was written by the apostle Paul. And here's what he says. He says, for just as each of us has one body, with many members, and when he says members, he's talking about parts. We have one body, but we have many body parts. We have fingers, toes, elbows, knees, and nose, right? We've got them all. And even as one of us has one body, each each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. The ear and the nose don't do the same thing, right? Uh, So it is in Christ. We, he says, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So turn to somebody next to you and say, we belong together. We belong together, right? Paul says, this is a really interesting uh, simile or, or analogy that he's drawing, but what he's saying is just like you and I have a body and, and our body has a lot of different parts to it and all those parts don't do the same thing, yet it is one body. And to be a follower of Jesus means that you are a part of that body and that the person sitting down the row from you or sitting across the aisle from you or sitting in a church across the street from you or sitting in a church on the other side of the world as you, you are still part of their body. We are all part of the same body working together in unison. So if we're going to ever fulfill our potential individually and collectively, we have to see ourselves as part of a body working together. I came across... a. Uh, an article about a woman named Karen Byrne. 1983, Karen Byrne went to the hospital in New Jersey. And she came to the doctors and she said, I've got a problem. She started to describe her, her situation, her condition. And it was really, really bizarre because Karen Byrne said, I am being attacked by my own hand. And the doctor said, well, what do you mean by this? And they said, uh, she said, well, my left hand, it's like I have no control over it. It's doing its own thing. My whole body is doing one thing, but my left hand is doing an entirely different thing. She said, sometimes my left hand will just reach across and slap me in the face. That's what she said. She said, sometimes my left hand will reach into my purse, take things out, throw them away, and then when I go to get in my purse, where's that stuff? Oh, it's in the trash can because my left hand, independently, without telling me, 
decided to throw stuff away. She even had a situation where in public one time, her left hand reached up and began to unbutton her shirt. And she literally had to grab her left hand and restrain it, right? So she's telling this to the doctors. And the doctors are are doing what a lot of you are doing right now, going, what? Uh, What are you talking about? Like they were saying, "Is, is it possible that, I mean, first of all, is she faking this? Is this just a weird thing and she's trying to get attention and she's just acting like her left hand is, you know, but she was saying, no, it's like it's controlled by some other force. So they said, well, maybe it's a mental illness. Maybe there's a, 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 you know, a mental illness that is, that's like causing her to believe that this is happening, right? But when they began to dig into it, what they discovered is this. Karen Byrne, when she was a little girl, had epilepsy. At the time she was 10, she started having seizures. And the doctors had tried all different types of methodologies to try to heal her from epilepsy. But they weren't able to do it. And so finally, later on in life, as, as a young woman, they, they performed a procedure where there's a little band called the corpus callosum. There'll just be a little bit of biology, okay? Just a little bit. We have some doctors and and medical people in the house, so if I mess this up, you can stand up and correct me. But it's called the corpus callosum, and it's it's a band of nerves that connect the left hemisphere of the brain to the right hemisphere of the brain. It helps your body to know it helps your, your, your parts of your brain to communicate with each other. And when she was a, a little, a young woman, and they were trying to heal her of epilepsy, they performed, a, performed a, a, a procedure where they made an incision on that band of nerves up there. Um, and so they separated them. Well, the procedure worked. She no longer had seizures. But the unintended side effect was that the two halves of her brain started acting independently of each other. The, the right side of her brain was controlling her left side, and the left side was controlling her right side. And the right side of her brain was apparently telling her left hand to do things that were not part of her conscious mind. Like slap her in the face or steal stuff out of her purse. And you guys are looking at me like I'm making this up. But what the doctors, what the doctors did, they discovered that she's not the only one that has had this happen to her. There's actually, it's a very small, but it's a, it's a very rare, but it is a, a real uh, issue with people that, that they have. Sometimes their body parts will be acting on their own. And you won't believe the name of it. It's actually called alien hand syndrome. That's the actual name because it's like an alien force. And if you don't believe me, you can Wikipedia it, okay? Or you don't have to because I did for you. So anyway, here we go. So um, alien hand syndrome is a condition in which a person experiences their limbs acting seemingly on their own without control over their own actions. Here's what was going on with Karen Byrne. She was one body with many parts, but the many parts were not acting as one. The, the parts were acting independently of each other. They weren't acting as one. They weren't acting in unison. A lot of times, Christians around the world, historically throughout time, we have been one body, but we have suffered from the spiritual alien hand syndrome. We've been shooting off into different directions. We've been cordoning off ourselves. We've been bickering and fighting with each other. We've been slapping each other across the face, stealing stuff out of each other's purses. I mean, not literally, but... But this is, this is the reality of what the Christian church has been at times and, and, and often throughout, throughout history. We have been a, 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 a community of believers that are in discord and dysfunction and disunity. And sometimes we wonder, gosh, why doesn't my friend or neighbor want to become a Christian? It's because they're looking at us and going, yikes, you know, like, you don't want to be around that kind of dysfunction, right? But that's, that's happened historically throughout the world. And we have separated ourselves and we've cordoned ourselves off and we've siloed ourselves. In fact, I came across a list 
this week, you know, there are hundreds of denominations, right? And, and, and there's nothing wrong to, with denominations, and I've been part of denominations. I, I've been a part of a Presbyterian denomination. I've been a part of a, a, a Pentecostal denomination. I've been a part of a Nazarene denomination. So, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with denominations, and, and it's good. But sometimes the body of Christ can become so divided, we can, like, take so, so much effort to figure out what our distinctions are, like, if you ever meet a Christian that, that like keeps asking, well, well, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about this? And it keeps getting finer and finer and more granular. And, and what, what they're really looking to do is where can we draw the dividing line between you and me? So where are you different from me? When really the Bible says we have one faith, we have one hope, we have one baptism, we have one Lord and Father of all who is above all and through all and in us all. We are one body acting together. And when we get that together, man, it's profound what can happen. I found a list um, that kind of describes different denominations by, and and the title is, uh, how many, and then fill in the blank, does it take to uh, screw in a light bulb? So you guys want to see that list of different, no, you don't want to hear it? Two people, two people. I'll just, because I want to, I actually really want to read it. So I'll just do it for you guys. Um, all right, here we go. How many, how many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? None. The lights will go on and off at predestined times. Um, <laughs> Presbyterians are going, am I allowed to laugh at that? Yes, you are. Um, how many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? Ten. One to change the bulb and nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. <laughs> I, like, I like that. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? One to change the bulb and nine to organize a bulb-changing potluck. This is a good one. How many Southern Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? None. Southern Baptists never change. Oh, 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 oh. That that stung somebody. How many Charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? One to cast it out and two to catch it when it falls. How many... I can tell by, by, by how you laugh, like how familiar you are with that thing. Um, how many fundamentalists does it take to change a light bulb? Fundamentalists do not change light bulbs. They simply yell at the instructions and hope the light bulb will change itself. How many Roman Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? No light bulbs, candles only. Um, how, many, how many Nazarenes does it take to change a light bulb? Um, one woman to replace the bulb and five men to review the church lighting policy. Uh, how many non-denominationals? Okay, we'll get in there. How many non-denominationals does it take to change a light bulb? Hey, don't try to label us as bulb changers, man. Um, and then finally, how many Amish does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, what's a light bulb? So um, anyway, so we have a lot of... <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of distinctives, right? I mean, around the, around the world, around the body of Christ. But I think the, the, the problem is when the family, when the body of Christ is not acting in, in unity, the reason is because we forgot the purpose for which we are here. Have you ever, have you ever like walked into a room and then you forgot why you went in that room? Please tell me that had has happened. You're, you're in there, you go, I came in here. You go to, for me, it happens when I go to the basement. I go down to the basement and then I go, geez, man, why am I down here? I'm like down here by myself in the washing machine, the dryer, just stuff around, you know. But this is what happens in the body of Christ. We forget the purpose of the body. We forget what the purpose, 
The question is this. It's a fundamental question, and we're going to start off with this whole series by trying to understand this question. What is the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist as a community? Why, does it, why didn't Jesus say, hey, believe in me, then off, you're on your own. Go do your thing, and you're fine, right? Why does he insist that we come together? Why does he insist that we be a body? Why does he insist that we have, be an intimate, loving community, serving together and loving together and working together? What is the purpose of that, right? Jesus actually answers the, the, the question in a prayer that he prays. And, and it's a beautiful moment. We get to, we get to look in to a glimpse of an, of an intimate, private moment where Jesus raises his hands, he, he closes his eyes, he, he looks up to the Father and he prays. And what he prays, he prays for you and me. And in this prayer, we get to understand the purpose for which he has made this body, this community. Here's what he says. He says, Father, my prayer is that all of them, not just my followers, but everybody who's going to come to follow me, my prayer is that all of them may be one. Father, my prayer is that they may be one just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one as we are one. Think about that. Jesus praying to the Father saying, I want this body of believers to be as unified and as one as you and I are one. That's how, that's how interconnected I want them to be. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. He says, I want them to be one. And then he gives the purpose, right? Here's what happens when we become one. Then he says, the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. What he's saying is this, that the primary purpose of the church is to show the world that God loves them. To, 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 to invite people into a loving relationship with Christ by our community, by the fact that we exist and are in unity with one another. That is our purpose. As, and that's a mission I can get behind. That's a vision that I can get behind. Jesus says, I built this church so that others might be able to look at you and understand how much God loves them and know that God sent me so that they can come and have a relationship with me. That's why we exist. That's why we do what we do. That's why we come together. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have growth track. That's why we have dreams. That's why we do everything we do. It's because we are, we are called to be one, not only with one another, but with every believer around the globe, right? So that people who are not believers will look at us and go, I want to be a part of that, right? I mean, those of you that are here today, I know there are a lot of people that are wounded, that, that you've experienced spiritual wounds, you've experienced spiritual hurts, and there are a lot of people that are very tentative about becoming Christians or about getting involved in a church or being, because you've been hurt before, you've been hurt by the family of God. It's not because you have something against God, it's because Christians have harmed you in some way. You've been hurt, you've been burned. And so God is saying, look, I want, I want unity in the body Right, so that people can look upon you and say, I want to be a part of that. So that they can come into relationship with me through you. That's your purpose. But when we get so caught up in our particularities, we forget our purpose. I mean, individually or corporately or however it is. When we get caught up with like, this is me and that's you, and don't see that we are one, then we miss the target. And if we, if we don't understand the target, if we don't understand our purpose, we're not going to hit it. There was a guy, um, Matt Emmons, I believe his name was. He's a, he was an Olympian uh, rifle, rifle guy and, uh, you know, like a target 
person, you know, <laughs> rifle shooter, um, shotguns is what he did. Um, he's uh, it's from <laughs> 2004. Um, it's not a good word for that, but uh, he, marksman. marksman. Thank you. Gosh, thank you guys. <laughs> he was a marksman. Appreciate that. We're a body. You see, we work together to get the sermon across. Need some help sometimes. Um, so this marksman uh, was about to win the Olympics. It's 2004. He was like on his very last shot. All he had to do was hit the target. If he hit the target, he would win the gold medal. I mean, and this guy had been hitting bullseye after bullseye after bullseye, right? But all he had to do was hit the target and he wins the gold medal. So he lines up, and you can look this up. He lines up on the target, takes his time, does his breath, squeezes the trigger, bang, hits the target dead center. Problem. It was not his target. He hit the guy's target that was next to him. I mean, seriously, he got zero points, lost the gold medal, right? This is what happens to followers of Jesus. Sometimes we're aiming at the wrong target. Sometimes we forget what the purpose of being a church is. We forget that it's to bring people into relationship with Christ, to love them, right? And to bring them, and to let them know how much God loves them. That's our purpose. That's our aim. Everything we do has to be directed at that. That's what we are about. So the question that arises for us then is, how do we do that? What's the strategy? What's the technique? You know, how, how do we make this happen, right? I mean, you know, do we, do we get out on the sidewalk with a bullhorn and, you know, start you know, you're a sinner. I mean, you can do that. You can. It's fine. You know, um, do, you, uh, do, you wear the, do you wear the sandwich board that says turn or burn and walk up and down the, the, the boulevard, right? You could do that, you know, that might have be effective in certain ways, right? Do you do the thing where, I don't know if you've ever seen people, they leave, they leave a, a, a tract like for the, for the waitress or the waiter and it's like in the shape of a $20 bill, but then you, you pick it up and, it, and you open it up and it says, here's a tip, Jesus loves you. And you go, dude, I want to, punch you in the face right now. That's, I'm so unhappy. But, I mean, right, how do we do that, right? So what is, what is the strategy, what is the strategy for letting the world know that God loves them, right? What is the technique? Jesus tells us, and it's, it's, it's surprising what he says, because this is what he says. He says, a new command I give you, this is what he tells his disciples, love one another. But wait a minute, what does that have to do with sharing the love of Christ? okay. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, let me just pause for a minute. First of all, notice that he says, I command you, love one another, right? It's a command. He doesn't say, I've got a suggestion for you. I've got some good advice. That... He, he commands us. Why does he command us? Because it's not always that easy to love one another. I mean, some people it's easy to love. Other people, it's not easy to love, right? True or not true? Okay, good. Because... That's good, that's good, because that's the way I feel. I mean, sometimes, you know, some people are lovable and some people are not lovable, but that doesn't matter. He says, I'm commanding you to love them. I'm commanding you to love one another, right? It's a command. The other reason he commands is it's because it's a choice. It's a choice that we can make. Do I decide to actively love that person or do I decide to not love that person? And he's saying, I want you to choose to love them. He doesn't say, I want you to have a feeling, right? Because sometimes you're gonna have to love people that you don't feel lovely about, loving in with, loveliness around them. You don't have that. It's not, it's not like that, right? But he's still saying, I want you to love them, right? It's a command. But here's why. Because if you do this, by this, 
Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The strategy, the strategy for sharing the love of Christ with others begins when we love each other. When we look after each other as followers of Jesus in this assembly, but all around the world, all around the city. When we start to love each other, then people can go, oh, maybe I do want to be a part of that after all. Maybe that is a safe place for me. Maybe that is a place where I can go and get some healing and get some comfort and get some, some love and some, some nourishment and some strength. Maybe that is a place for me, right? I've never, I've never hired a, a personal trainer, you know, but I like to go to the gym. And at my gym, they have personal trainers. And there are some that look like they are applying the information that they would share with me to themselves. Are you tracking with me what I mean by that? And then some are not. And so if I'm going to hire a personal trainer, if I ever did, I would want to hire a person who looks like they are an expert in physical personal training, right? Because they're doing it. They're applying it, right? If I hire a financial advisor, I don't want him to be broke. I just don't want a, a bankrupt financial advisor, right? What, what, what Jesus is saying is, if you want people to experience God's love, start at home. Start right here, in-house. Start loving each other. Care for one another. Be kind and loving and generous toward one another. Have a real, genuine, authentic, rich relationship with each other. And out of that, people will go, gosh, that is what I want to be a part of. They will begin to understand that that is is how you know that you are a disciple of Christ. And they start to say, gosh, I want to be a part of that, right? He's inviting us into that. Um, This last week, uh, Dolores Lancaster and, and Ernest Carter and I went to a a conference down in Birmingham. It's called Grow. It's a, it's a church conference. And um, I, I won't tell you all about it, but, but it was an amazing experience. And um, this, is a, this is a church that the, their, their, their goal is to help churches grow. I mean, to help reach more people and, you know, bring more people into Christ and baptize more people. And, and so they've, you know, they're trying to help you with all of this stuff. And, and we're there from like 7.30 in the morning until like 10.30 at night. And, you know, and, and one night after like maybe the first night, we were there and they did the last session and then they said, listen, all of our doors are open. We've got team members everywhere around. You can come and ask any question of anybody about anything uh, and we're just here to serve you. So I go back and, and, and we start asking questions. Uh, we go backstage, Ernest and I go backstage to, to like the technical area where they've got all the lighting and all the sound and all that kind of stuff. And we start asking questions. And there's a guy who's probably 20 and he's a volunteer and it's 1030 at night and He's like gung-ho to help us. He's like, what do you need to know? I can show you this. Let me take you back here. I'll show you how the amps work. I'll show you, you know, where the things get plugged in, right? Takes, takes you up on the catwalk so you can look down. And here's how we light. And, this is, and finally I stop him. I go, dude, like, what is the, what is the motivation? Like, what is, because I'm a little bit cynical, right? I'm a little tired times, right? Sometimes I can be cynical and think, what is the, how is this happening? Why is this happening? Are they paying you to say all that? No. And he's like, Oh man, he's like, man, I, I just, we just love helping other brothers and sisters in Christ. We just love trying to help other people do ministry well. So I'm, he's, he, he's like, I'm driving an hour to and from. I'm just volunteering, but I love being here and I love sharing it with you. Everywhere that we went in that, in that, at that conference, you just look around and, you, and I went, man, what is going on here is, is the body of Christ actually genuinely loving each other in deep and meaningful ways. And I love, honestly, I love that about this church because that's what we do. But for me, it was a spiritual breakthrough. Like it was a moment, a personal moment for me where I went, 
oh, the, the, the strategy, right, to reach the lost, to reach people with the gospel, the strategy is love. Huh. Wow. I mean, I probably should have figured that out before I became a pastor, but for me, it, like, it just hit me this, this week in a profound way, and I went, that's my, that's my job. My duty, my calling, my mission, and not mine, yours too, is to love, to love each other, and to seek to, 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 to love each other as you love yourself, meaning the things that you want for yourself, you want for that other person, right? You love them as much as you love yourself. He's saying, this is what I've called you to do. This is what I have called you to be. Because when you do this, then other people go, I want to be a part of that. That's our, that is our evangelism strategy. Love people. Love each other. Look after each other. He, uh, um, amen. Here's a challenge. Here's a challenge. The challenge is that we're a, we are a fast-growing church, okay? We're growing very quickly. It's almost every week now, especially as the fall comes in. Um, we're over 400 people, and we're just growing every week. And I praise God for that. I praise God for the 15 souls we baptized this last week. I mean, I'm, just, I'm, I'm still riding off that, man. It's just awesome. But the challenge then is because it becomes that when you grow larger, you, lose, you can lose intimacy. You can lose connection with other people. And we cannot love each other if, unless we know each other. And we cannot know each other unless we are in real, authentic community with each other. Unless we're actually in real community with one another. Last semester, I led a life group, and a, a guy's group. And I, I promise you, it was, it, it was another breakthrough. It was one of those moments where I went, oh my gosh. I've been talking about life groups for six years. But something happened that I, I got it. I got it this time. There was profound spiritual growth among the the men in, in, in our group. I, you know, obviously, I won't even tell you. I can't tell you because it was just, it's just a small community of guys. That, and, but it was amazing, right? God is calling us to love each other. We can't do that unless we know each other. I told you at the beginning, I, I, I'm going to give you two ways. I hope I told you. But I'm going to give you two ways to make, to, to make this happen, to grow in your personal potential as you grow in the body of Christ, to bring out the purpose that God has for you. I'm going to give you two practical ways today to get you involved and get you engaged and to help you fulfill your potential in the body of Christ. The first one is this. If you do not have a, a community, a church family, become a part of a church family. We're offering our, our membership session today right after this service. If, if, if you want to make this your church home, this is your opportunity to do it. Do it today, right in the lobby. Our, our growth track team will be out there. Where are you, growth track team? Are you guys out there right now? Maybe they're out there right now. Here you go. There's Mark, right? Is that Mark? There's Mark. Mark's right out there. And you'll meet them in the lobby. They'll have a sign. You can meet them. And then when uh, the children are dismissed, they'll take you upstairs. There's food and childcare. I'll be up there and I'll just sort of let you know more about who we are and, and invite you to become a part of us. If this is not a good place for you, it's not your church home, it's not a good fit for you or whatever, find a church home and, and dig in. Be a part of the body of Christ. There are no Christians in the scripture that are not deeply affiliated with the community of other believers. They just don't exist. Because a part of being a Christian means being part of a family. That's part of the definition. So I want to encourage you, make that, make that leap today. Make that commitment today. Come and be a member of our church or find another church to be a part of. But be a part, okay? That's one way. The second way is this. We're going to be launching life groups in September. And um, life groups are 
you know, as I just mentioned, I mean, that's where, that's where real intimate spiritual community happens. That's where real spiritual growth can happen. I, I like to think of, of growth, of, of life groups as the greenhouse for spiritual growth. That's where you're actually one-on-one or, you know, two-on-one, three-on-one, whatever, sharing life together, opening up your lives, spending time in people's homes, eating together, praying together, fellowshipping together, right? And, and, and so I want to encourage you. If you're, if you're already a member of our church, I want to encourage you to lead a life group this coming semester. It can be you and two other people having coffee at Starbucks, you reading a scripture and then having a conversation. It can be you and three of your girlfriends, you know, uh, meeting at Forest Park, praying, reading a scripture, and then jogging, right? It can be whatever. It can be 12. It can be an open life group where you're inviting everybody in. It can be a small life group where you say, I just want these three people and we're going to come together. But I want to encourage you, Get into fellowship with other believers in rich, deep, meaningful ways this coming semester when we launch in the fall. Today, we're actually holding life group training, life group leader training. Dolores, would you mind to stand? Dolores Lancaster is our life group leader. Yes. Oh, she's got the sign. There you go. She is our life group director, you guys. She's, she is so excited about life groups. She will train you. She'll prep you. She will get you, she will get you engaged. If you're not excited about life groups, just go hang out with her for five minutes. You'll be so gung-ho. I mean, I had people on the way out the first service going, we're joining, we're starting a life group. And I'm like, do you even attend here? They're like, yeah. Okay. So um, she'll, get you, she'll get you ready. Um, and we don't, and actually she's offering classes today. She's offering, uh, offering a life group leader training today. Meet her in the lobby and she will take you to the training. Um, she'll be out there with the sign. So if you're even thinking about it, I would encourage you to get trained in that. Um, and here's another thing that we're going to do, and I'm going I'm to wrap this up. I'm going to close. We're going to land this plane, I promise you. Um, we, we want you to not only be encouraged and, and enthused and excited, we, all, we also want you to be resourced and equipped, okay? So we sent an email. I sent an email out to, to everybody that we have. If we have your email address, you got an email from me on Friday with a link to this resource, which is called Right Now Media. Right Now Media is a, a, a resource that we purchased as a church. Actually, you purchased it through your tithes and offerings to the church, we purchased this resource, and then we're opening up, turning it around, and giving it back to you. It's, it's a resource where on your phone or on your computer or on your iPad or on your smart TV or whatever, you have access to 18,000 uh, uh, videos that are like Bible studies, and they've got amazing kids' content, incredible kids' content. Stuff that we actually paid for in the past, like you know, it's all on there, and it's all yours, and it's all for free. And so if you want to lead a life group, You've got everything you need. If you, wanna, if you just want to use it for personal devotion, it's amazing. I mean, it's in the best teaching, and, and it's just comprehensive. I'm blown away by it. I learned about it in my life group last semester when I was having another guy lead the life group, um, Brian Housley, and I'm, like, trying to email him the video and doing all this and whatever, and he goes, I, yeah, I don't need that. I've got, all of, I've got that video and you know, 17,999 more on my phone right now. So we ended up getting it, but... We're giving it to you. If you, uh, if you did not receive a link and you want one, let us know. Put it on your connection card and we'll send it to you. This is a resource that allows you to very easily and very quickly be prepared to lead a life group. Here's the thing. We want to do whatever we can. Our goal is to do whatever we can to help develop you, equip you, empower you. Why? Because my job is to love you. Your job is to love each other. Our job is to love one another and to love every follower of Jesus. Well, really to love everybody, right? But starting in-house, let's love each other. 
Let's pursue each other. Let's get in real community with each other. Let's get to know each other, right? Let's not just skim over the, over the surface, but let's get in real, rich, deep, and powerful community with each other. It is life transforming. Karen Byrne, the woman that I mentioned at the beginning of the, of the message, she finally got the medication that she needed. She went through therapy and she now, thank God, is, is able to have control over her left hand. So her body is working together as one. Jesus is calling us and saying, look, I want you guys to be, I want you to be on one mind. I want you to be on one accord. I want you to be one in purpose, right? Different members, different functions, different roles, but one purpose, one vision, one God, one faith, one bat. I want you in pursuit of that one purpose to bring love to those who are in need. And so today my prayer for you, for us, is the same as Jesus' prayer for us. Father, make us one. Make us one. That through us, the world may know how much you love them. Let me pray for us right now. Father, we come before you in gratitude for your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it's just, it's life-giving. It's life-transforming. It, it reaches into the inner recesses of our hearts, even where there's hurt and pain, even where there's uncertainty and cynicism, even where there are wounds and scars, you reach in and you heal us. And you heal us in community. You heal us in, in a family. You heal us when we are growing together in unity with one another. Because God, you have an ultimate purpose for us as a family, as us as a body, and that is to bring the love of Christ to everybody we meet, to heal the wounds in our community, to bring families back together, to bring children back home, to bring light in the darkness, to comfort those who mourn, to bring beauty and joy and love and mercy where there's pain. God, we ask that you give us the strength, Lord, to love each other even as you have loved us. Help us, Lord, to, to follow your command that we love one another, that we grow together, that we might bring honor and glory to you, and that we might be a light that spreads your love everywhere we go. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.